increasing. I don't sound very... Oh, no, it's because I wasn't leaning into the microphone. You're not as loud as usual. No, You're keeping no. your voice down. What's wrong with you? It's a bit hoarse from last evening, singing along with the Dave oh, stuff. Oh, were you screaming? Was it screaming? Were you but... whooping and cheering? <laughs> I was stood there shouting, could, Dave, marry me. I could hear you swallow then. <laughs> oh, my grip's gone weak now. Do <laughs> 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 uh, need a hand with it? I, honestly, I can't grip it now because you swallowed. <laughs> Oh, it's made me feel queer. <laughs> Thanks, dear. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Too Much Time On Our Hands, the theatrical cut. We're back again and this week we're going to be talking about Kate Winslet. I'm Terry, and joining me as always is... Sonia. Hi, Sonia. Hey, Terry. How are you? I'm good. Is it warm enough for you? It's fucking boiling. So we've actually had to move out of the conservatory today, because we were recording a little bit later, and we would melt in seconds if we were stood... I imagine it would be akin to standing next to the sun. I I reckon so. Do you know, it's it's as hot as a McDonald's apple pie in there. (sighs) I know, right? That is hot. Um, Terry opened the door just now, and it was like a scene from Backdraft. Yeah, honestly, I think it was probably worse. Yeah. It's worse than any fireman's ever had it. Yeah. <laughs> the heat in the conservatory. Um, right, so what have you been up to since we last recorded, Sonia? Well, it's been two weeks. So Terry and I have decided um, that we're going to record the pod every two weeks. Um, that makes no difference to you guys. Um, just because we're talking a lot longer and because I I mean I've got quite the hectic social life if I'm honest and I literally don't have enough hours in the day to do all my social things and watch movies I mean Terry's just um <laughs> Terry's fine he could probably record like every day if we needed him to <laughs> but um I'm just Mr. Go I've <laughs> um no seriously we were finding that we weren't having enough time to uh watch all the films we were that... having to do a lot of stuff from memory rather than actually re-watching so um yeah we're going to be recording every two weeks now and talking for a lot longer um we're getting into the minute here. detail of every film yeah, exactly. cinematography <clears throat> background artists cinema photography terry i think you'll find it's called um so film wise besides my kate films which i won't talk about until we get to them um terry and i went to um the cinema on wednesday wasn't it wednesday just for, gone yeah. uh cine world for one of their secret screenings for their unlimited card holders and we were very surprised i mean yeah much speculation i thought it was going to be skyscraper i hoped it was going to be skyscraper i was just desperate that it wasn't going to be mamma mia 2 mm, i wouldn't have minded that i potentially would have left yeah you did that, say that's that. how much i dislike abba and the thought of abba being sung badly just doesn't appeal to me at all um but no, we were very pleasantly surprised because it turned out to be Incredibles 2. Incredible. Yeah. Whooping um, in the cinema as that title card came There up. was a lot Although of cheering. T- four people did leave. I didn't see that, but that's absolute fuckery. Two people left straight away and then two people left because there was the short beforehand. So I don't know if they thought that was I have the whole to admit, film. I found that short bizarre. It, it was incredibly bizarre and quite dark in I places. I thought so. I mean, there was a bit where it's like a false ending and it was like... Jesus fucking yeah. Christ, this is yeah. a kid's film. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I was genuinely disturbed. So I believe but... the short film was called Dumplings. That makes um, sense. <laughs> but yeah, we, we won't get into that. No, what did you think of Incredibles 2? So I really, really liked it. I have seen the first film, but not for a very long time. Mm. So 
I couldn't really... I basically remembered the character names. Mm. And in some cases, not the character names. But I thought it was really good. Um, very funny. Jack-Jack, for me, was the scene stealer. Uh, the baby. Is Jack-Jack a boy or a girl? I don't know. I think it's deliberately ambiguous. Yeah, because towards the end, it looked like Jack-Jack's wearing a dress. Not that that implies Jack-Jack's a girl. Because most of the time, he's just in a baby grow. Or they yeah. are just in a baby grow. They've just got a tuft of hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, and I don't think anything's ever said of he or she. They're constantly Just referred Jack to Jack. as Jack Jack. Um, so you liked it, yeah? Yeah. Um, I wasn't that fussed, if I'm honest. No. I don't uh, think it was the best Pixar film I've ever seen, mm. but considering it was a sequel as well, it it made me laugh. Yeah, for a sequel, I thought it was really good. For for a secret screening, I thought it was excellent. Um, I Dan had quite an interesting point to make apparently if there's a new disney or pixar film coming out they play it at glastonbury glastonbury's not on so he said maybe that's why they chose that one i don't think that's the reason why but i was very very um pleasantly surprised i would have preferred skyscraper i think i think i would have enjoyed skyscraper more because i feel like although i love a disney film and a kids Mm. film i have to almost be in the right mindset for those because they are a little predictable i actually nodded off a couple of times no although you know me that just because dan was next burning the candle at both ends um what had i done the night before um probably a gig i'd done something that oh hold on i've got a calendar in front of me (laughs) hilariously i've had to bring my calendar out with me for the weekly roundup um Oh, yeah. I'd been out drinking the night before, so I went out drinking on school night. That's why I was tired. Your recovery's a lot longer now you're getting on, Sonia. Yeah, I know. I'm still recovering now. Um, what else have you done the last two weeks? So is that your roundup? Well, no, I can go on if you want. Mine's not necessarily. I thought um, you'd do all of yours and I could do all oh, of okay, mine. Oh, okay, then. Well, mine's not really movie-based. Well, I did go and see Bill and Ted 1 and 2 at Prince Charles last night. Which Gutted was to miss that. Extravaganza. Um... I have seen Excellent Adventure many, many times, but I haven't seen it for a long time. I think I've only seen Bogus Journey once, and I like Bogus Journey more than Excellent Adventure. Um, I think Bogus Journey is much more rewatchable. It's. I think they're both excellent. Um, it was fantastic to watch them back to back. They they hold up really well. Uh, they're still funny. Just, just a really great double bill. It was just fun. I mean, Prince Charles, you know how much we love Prince yeah, we Charles. Do love it was just Prince amazing. Charles. Although it was getting hot in there towards the end and all of us were nodding off a little bit. Uh, so I went with Dan from the Mother Pod and a couple of members of the uh, Theatrical Cut fan club. Um, <clears throat> and I know it was just really, really good. Really, really good. Just cool. like to point out, I wasn't not there because I didn't want to be. I was somewhere else, which will come up in my roundup. Um, I would and have then... loved to have been there. Besides watching Kate films, I have... Uh, I've been to a couple of gigs. I went to see Body Count uh, last week. Terry's shrugging. Um, maybe somebody listening will know. Um, it's Ice-T, dear. Oh? Yeah? The rapper? Yes. And um, actor? Yes. Um, so, yeah, Ice-T, Ice I'm, I'm saying that for Terry's benefit. I went to see Body Count. It was bloody amazing. Then a few nights later, I went to see Lindy Ortega, who Terry does know. Yes. Because I recommended her you. did, to you. and I love, I love that opening track on the album, where it's just like proper sort of country and western yeah. with a sort of sci-fi sort of vibe. So, okay, so this is slightly film-connected. Um, Lindy Ortega's uh, most recent album, called Liberty, is inspired by Spaghetti Westerns. Um, yeah, I can see that. Um, but specifically, she's a massive Tarantino fan, and she loves his soundtracks, and his soundtracks to his movies 
inspired her writing for the album Liberty. Yeah. So that's kind of film okay. film based. It's all tied up nicely. Um, and then I did have tickets for Pearl Jam on Tuesday, and unfortunately, if you've he lost um, his voice. If you've seen the news, yeah, Eddie Vedder lost his voice on. Um, well, he was suffering on Monday at their gig on Monday, and unfortunately, it was cancelled on Tuesday. So. Uh, fingers crossed that'll be rescheduled and I get to go to that again um, hopefully they rescheduled it at the same venue because when that happened to me with the Foo Fighters and Dave Rogue's Egg they shifted it to a crap venue and I didn't oh. end up rebuying a ticket well we don't have to rebuy tickets hopefully they'll reschedule um, it is at the O2 so th- they could actually oh, yeah, move it they can move it anywhere and I'll be happier because I fucking hate the O2 um, but I think that's it for me it's um, all I've got written down anyway Right, so take I'll it away because Terry's seen more films than I can shake a stick at. <laughs> so again, obviously, won't talk about my Kate. So just going through. So since the last pod, so Black Panther was released on DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah. So I've rewatched that Wakanda Forever. Just as did good. Did you buy it? Yeah, of course I did. Oh, I should have got you to bring it around so I could watch Bought it. What a lovely steel book. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's my favourite Marvel film. It is a lovely steelbook and it is it really holds up because it's one of those films where I thought maybe it wouldn't live up to the second viewing because like you're really hyped and there's obviously a lot of hype around it, but very, very good. Yeah, I'm um, desperate to see it again. I lovely will... banter. I just love it. Where did you get your steelbook from? At Zavi. Yeah, I was gonna say they we don't say we. HMV don't do steelbooks. Not for, for the Marvel, Marvel ones, no. You no, seem to Zavi's ha- got the cra- uh, HMV got the seem to have all the D C ones. Yeah. And then hey. Zavi seem to have all the Marvel all ones, the but ones. <laughs> they're not always good looking because I always pre-order them because they always sell out really yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. You have to pre-order them before they even have an image. Like Thor Ragnarok, I had pre-ordered, and I cancelled the pre-order when I saw what it actually looked like. I just got the standard one because it's like ten quid extra, which I don't mind paying oh, wow. if it looks nice. Hmm. Because it's the th- they always put three Ds and stuff in the b- steelbooks and don't do Blu-ray steelbooks. It's three yeah. D Blu-ray. Because um, I've just, got um, just quickly before you uh, go on to your next film, you know, the, have you seen the big? big sleeve uh, versions of things they've done they're sort of I think they're either 12 inch square or bigger oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the big sleeves and I saw a Thor Ragnarok one in um, Kex the other day and that looked really nice I didn't realise yeah. I thought they'd just done those for Disney oh I suppose it's it Disney, is Disney now yeah. Thor's but, technically know, a Disney princess the, um, <laughs> he's a beautiful beautiful Disney princess beautiful a fine hair. hunk of a man oh anyway <coughs> let's, let's not get on to Chris Hemsworth <sighs> Uh, so then, change of tack, I watched Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, which is Friday the 13th, part nine, uh, which is very different. So for the Have most... you not seen it before? I feel like I might have done. Mm. Watching it, some bits were familiar, but not overly. So basically, Jason Voorhees spends most of the time in different bodies. Why did you watch that? I don't know. Oh. Oh, no, I do. Um, oh, crap. Uh, the Arrow <laughs> podcast that you recommended to me, yeah. or to all our listeners, I started listening to that, and they were talking about Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, okay. and when yeah, I was in, I think I, think I remember yeah, them talking when about I was that. in Kex looking for a Kex file, they had it for like two quid. So I believe you don't own it already. I don't. That's the only Jason film I own, other than the remake. Apologies if you can hear us drinking. It is. Um, it is it's as boiling in the rest of the house and we're both coughing because of the hay fever yeah the hay or, fever. or because it's our thing that we cough yeah, that is also our thing so yeah so very different film i mean there's still lots of slicing and dicing and horrendous acting slicing and dicing when he you don't really see a lot of jason with his mask on and he doesn't really have a machete a lot of the time but enjoyably crap uh, and then i watched a film called anon which is quite a new film it's it's, it's one of sky's first forays into making their own film so it is I think it like it, a Netflix original, but for Sky? Yeah, I think it went to certain cinemas, but it went straight on their thing. So it stars Clive Owen and Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried? 
however you'd pronounce it. And it's Mamma Mia fame. Yes. It's set in the near future where everybody basically has a computer in their heads. So everything they see is downloaded and can be accessed at all times. And he's a police officer. Their jobs are obviously very easy because if someone dies, they watch the footage of immediately before they died and they'll see if someone murders them. Sounds like an episode of Black Mirror. Possibly. Um, and then basically someone people start getting killed but their footage is missing and the killer is like hacking them and they show the last moments of the person being killed is the killer so literally people are dying watching themselves being killed and then that's all the footage the detectives can see so it actually becomes a proper detective case mm. did you understand what i was saying there you eventually you pulled yeah. a funny face so gas. i'd be murdering you but you'd be seeing from my point of view while You'd i was murdering murder you no of course i wouldn't if nothing else, you'd overpower me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then that becomes a bit. Amanda Seyfried plays a character. I, th- I think we never find out her <laughs> name. <reassuring>. We never. <laughs> we never find out her name, but she's another hacker that they use to try and catch that hacker. But yeah, decent enough film. It loses itself towards the end, as most films tend to. Uh, then well, I. Well, watched... you say that. I've watched two films this week that I thought the last third was. Uh third act if you like was, yeah. was the best bit anyway crack on but potentially if a film's going to lose its way it's at the end isn't it uh just before dawn which is an old school slasher again recommended by the arrow video podcast uh it's basically kids go camping in the mountains and there's sort of a religious cult and they're getting picked off one by one again enjoyable schlocky i would recommend that on uh, Split Second, again recommended by the Arrow podcast, the same thing. So, so Oh, someone's a bit of a fanboy. They're all from the first episode because I love slasher films and these were all ones recommended off the back of The Burning, mm. which I enjoyed. So I pretty much bought every film they recommended. Not, that, wasn't the fir- that wasn't their first episode, was it? It was the no. first one you listened to. Yeah, I listened to that one. The Burning. Yeah, I've basically been picking out the films that I've seen. Okay, makes sense. Rather than just listening to their podcast. So have you bought these? Yeah, I can lend in the all yeah, to you. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> Just Before Dawn is in a red Blu-ray case. Oh. 88 Films, I think, is like the brand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, all their cases um, are red. Yeah. Uh, so Split Second stars Rutger Hur, or Rutger Hauer, however you want to pronounce it. I like it when um, you say Hur. Hur. Uh, so he, again, near future, he's a cop. Uh, the ice caps have melted a bit, so pretty much everyone's wading in water at all times. And again, it's a bit of a murder mystery. There's... I mean, can't really go into too much detail. It's like there's a weird killer who's like eating bodies or parts of the bodies um, and he's trying to catch them. Uh, Then I watched a very weird film, which I believe regular listener to the podcast, Paul, recommended to us. And we said, fuck off, because he suggested us watching it together and he said it ended with an orgy, society. Paul suggested we watch that together. Yeah, he suggested, oh, this is a really weird film. We should watch it. And then he started explaining it and it was like very sexy time. And we were like, we're very not watching that time. together. I don't believe it is sexy time. I've See, because I'd read about that film and seen the pictures. And if anything, I would say it was the very definition of not sexy time. But Well, it gets a bit saucy. So that's a very weird <laughs> it gets film. gets a bit saucy. <laughs> right, Dad. Again, a very, <laughs> eight, very 80s set. Well, filmed in the 80s. That's why it's set in the 80s. Uh, and it's again about that a cult. Doesn't necessarily make sense. We're anyway. watching a uh, the son and his daughter, his sisters coming up to some sort of ceremony. That's not really explained what it is, and basically it transpires that pretty much everyone else he knows is part of this weird cult, and they're actually like insects. And there's towards the end they have like it's not an orgy, but it is an orgy where they basically all merge into all one merge person. Into one. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the cover art. Because um, I nearly bought it based on the cover art because that's something that I do. Um, it sometimes works. I have yeah. better luck with albums doing, oh, yeah. using that method, if I'm honest. Normally with films, it's like the cover's amazing, the film's shit. 
sometimes works for books as well. I feel like sometimes if they put a lot of uh, work into a cover, it's because they know the film's crap. Um, but I, I will watch your copy of Society. Yeah, I'll, I'll, bring I'll let you on. lend it to me. So it's it's perfectly decent. I don't. It's not one that you're going to want to watch again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it has got some sort of very weird practical effects. It's all practical, so all of like the mergings and there's mm. other bits where because they're aliens or not aliens, they're insects. Where they sort of get into weird positions. There's that one bit where he's looking at someone in the shower and they're like facing the same way as their bum, like their entire body's twisted. Um, but yeah, no, again, enjoyable. Uh, slightly different tack after that. I watched the Bobby Robson documentary more than a manager. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, that was very good. That's a Kate film. Uh, I watched the film Gringo. Okay, uh, I've heard good things about yeah, that. Yeah, it's enjoyable. So it char- stars one of our favourites, Charlize Theron, oh, God, playing a bull-busting like exec of a company. Joel Edgerton and David, I'm going to murder this, Iwayu. So basically David Iwayu plays Har- Harold and he's... He works for a company and he has to go to Mexico. They're a drugs company and he like deals with the people in Mexico. Sorry? Yeah, no, carry on. Um, they en- they have to come with him for some reason and he basically finds out that there's a merger happening and he's going to be fired. So for some reason he comes up with the idea of kidnapping himself for ransom so mm-hmm. that he can get money and run away. I remember seeing the trailer at the cinema. I yeah, thought it looked it's all right. very... Fr- so Charlie's front is very bull-bustery. It's very like she'll do whatever she has to to keep herself on top. Uh, Charlto Copley turns up as well as a sort of man for hire who they hire to try and get Harold back. Who? Uh, oh, I know the guy. The Vickers. guy from... Um... District 9. No. The... A-team. No. The other one. Free Chappie. Fire. Oh, yeah, Free Fire, yeah. <laughs> Just go literally every <laughs> other film he's been in. <laughs> but yeah. well done, Terry. Yeah, he was also in Free Fire. <laughs> yeah, I know the guy you mean. So again, now. he's playing like, as he always does, someone with a bit of a twinkle in their eye, a bit crazy. But yeah, very enjoyable. Not, I don't know if it's aiming for full-out comedy. There's bits that are funny. Mm. But again, Amanda Seyfried of Mamma Mia fame. She also. as well. Yeah, very small part for her. Uh, but yeah, that was a very enjoyable film. I like that a lot. Uh, and then I went to the cinema to see Ocean's Eight. Uh, me and Sonia Thoughts? did attempt to go together, but it wasn't. I really, I really literally en- made every excuse possible not to go with him. <laughs> As always, I really, really enjoyed it. I think the standout is Anne Hathaway. <clears throat> so she plays. Like, I think she's decent. She plays like a Hollywood starlet who's not the mark because I mean it's pretty obvious from the trailers they're trying to steal a necklace and she is the person that they're getting to wear the necklace, but she's not in the gang. Okay. Um, so she's basically playing like this really vain person who's just all about that because uh helena bottom carter plays like a tailor who they convince her to get her to tailor her dress and that's why she has to wear the necklace because the mark helena bottom carter's like well, you need to wear this necklace if you're going to wear my dress but i just think she was really good she's a very underrated actress in my opinion i think she's very good in a lot I of things she's, very and she's got a very bad rep for no real there's a lot of hate for her in les miserables as well people in the office were saying I didn't think she. They thought you. Were, she was reaching for the Oscar. And I was like, it's a very Oscary performance. Though. Well, yeah, but see, her was she up for best supporting actress for Les Mis? Yeah, yeah, she won it. Yeah, I know. How much screen time did she have? It's one of the lowest. It's about twelve minutes. I th- I thought it was half that. I thought it was six. I and I turned off Les Mis. I didn't get all the way through Les Mis because it bored me senseless. But um, my my issue with is that her screen time was so small. And I'm like, that is that class as a supporting role? I don't she know. She was an actress, and she was supporting. 
or is that a musical number? I don't know. But anyway, who? Like, I don't care who wins the Oscar. I do care who wins the Oscars. I, it keeps me awake at night. But um, but no, Ocean's Eight, very I don't, good. Yeah, if there's hate for her, I don't understand that at all. No. I think she's quite um, Obviously, everyone is very good in that. There's a lovely... Because basically, you've got Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett playing like the George oh, Clooney-Brad Pitt relationship. That's there's, honestly like my idea of heaven. There's a lot of banter. There's a lot of lovely moments. Kate is a bit of a... Is there a love scene? No, there isn't actually. Not at all between anyone. There's kissing where they're distracting people, but there isn't actually like an out-and-out love interest. It's just all about the girls. Rihanna's actually watchable as well. Everything else I've seen her in, I've found her quite crap. I don't but, I don't mind looking at her. I don't like listening to her. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you don't like her voice, this no, isn't going to No, I meant her, her singing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about a speaking voice. Uh, but no, it's a very good film. Uh, I'd say it's on par with Ocean's Eleven. The heist, it's a bit more broadcast, the heist, but then there are twists within that that sort of get revealed towards the end. But no, very, very good film. I went to see that with Steve and he enjoyed that very much as well. Uh, Incredibles 2 we've spoken about. Yeah, and then that's my film roundup. And then the reason I wasn't at Bill and Ted last night was because I was seeing the Foo Fighters at the London Stadium, which clashed with that. Mm. Um, amazing gig. I mean, anyone who knows me knows that Dave Grohl could do whatever he wanted to me. Oh, um, dear. <laughs> well, I didn't know that was the situation. Oh, I just thought you liked his songs. Everyone loves Dave Grohl. Yeah, but there's liking someone and letting them do whatever they wanted to you. He's just so lovely. Uh, but no, it was very, very good. Actually, a very good stadium for music. I was telling Sonia, because it's got quite a big roof. The, the acoustic of the venue is quite nice. It traps the sound. Um, a highlight for me was a very random moment. So halfway through he starts introducing the band as they do and for this mm. tour or for the new album they've like recruited a sixth member who's a keyboardist mm. so he's like does a little thing and then he just starts playing the chords to imagine mm. which you're thinking that's a bit odd Foo Fighters imagine and then Dave Did John Lennon come out and sing yeah <laughs> <laughs> a, 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 a sort of beam of light and he appeared on the stadium so no, then Dave starts talking about obviously these are bad times that we're living in um, <clears throat> and that he just wants to spread he just wants to make people happy. That's the reason he's on earth. And like, if he sees you out on the street, he'll smile and pose for a picture. If he sees you at a concert, he's going to play you a song. He goes, so peace and love. And with that, there's a song that comes to mind. And I'd like to sing that song for you now. I think you all know what the song is going to be. So Imagine carries on and then Dave starts singing. And obviously it's not Imagine because that would be weird. And you're going, I know the lyrics. I can't place them. And he was singing Van Halen's Jump to the tune of Imagine. That actually and it was, sounds amazing. It worked so well. Because like, by the time he gets to the chorus, you're just like, oh my God, it's Jump. It's Jump that by Van Halen. That is so, so cool. I thought you were going to say something like Yoko Ono came oh, out no. and sung it. I was a bit like, I would have just no, left. No, because you, you, you watch it go, they're not going to sing Imagine. Even if they <laughs> like, did it with shredded guitars or something, they're not going to do Imagine. And yeah, it was just, just magic. That does um, sound spectacular. I wonder if we can find it on YouTube. I imagine you can find it somewhere, but yeah, it was just because I say it was like you could tell everyone in the stadium was like, I know this song, but you just mm. couldn't. It'd be quite an interesting game to play, I think, if you could do that with lots of songs, just sing them to different tunes. Yeah, I think, yeah, you'd have to be quite musical to do that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be, I can't sing anything in tune, but um, <laughs> singing it to another tune, maybe. But no, uh, I got to hear my favourites, Best of You, Wheels, which he did semi acoustically again, which that song. I absolutely love it for having seen him perform live. Uh, very liberal use of the word motherfucker. But again, it's Dave Grohl. What more can you expect? Can I... Um, I might, well, I might have found it here. Let's... Um... Yeah, this is can it. Can you sing a song of love and hope and peace and togetherness? Can you sing with me? 
So because everyone's just like, we know it's not imagined, Don't Dave. Don't spoil it, Terry. You got it, child. I've seen the toughest around. And that's available on YouTube if you wanted to watch the whole thing. Yeah, I'm not going to play the whole thing. So once you um, get to the chorus, it obviously sort of syncs a bit better. But yeah, it was just a very, very good gig. A lovely night had by all. and then A lovely night had by and all. And then an absolute fucking bull late getting home. Two you hours. You don't worry about your train <coughs> journey. Nobody Fuck you, wa- Northwest. Nobody Fuck wants you. to hear about that. <laughs> and that's my weekly roundup. Uh, other than the... Your weekly roundup. Other than the... Our weekly roundup. There are two of us here, Terry. <laughs> I can't see you over the microphone. No. Probably best. Um, so on to the main body of the podcast. So, so let's, let's um, talk Kate Winslet. Yeah, so last time we were here, we were talking about remakes. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for everyone who got in touch about that. Uh, we've had quite a lot of feedback about that. It's my, it was my personal favourite yeah, one Yeah, I've had a lot of people say it was our best episode. Um, I really, really enjoyed doing that one. Um, Dan was with us um, and he pulled a subject out of the hat. We incorrectly said that it was my subject. I actually put the other Kate in the hat. This is Terry's subject. Yeah, um, Kate Winslet is all mine. So Terry chose to put Kate Winslet in the hat, uh, which I was very pleased about because I also love her. Um, so what we're going to be doing is just basically talk about her films. We're going to just focus on the ones we've seen. We're not going to do it like the Stath where we're going to talk about every single one. We're I mean, just But we had seen pretty much every Stath um, film, whereas that's not quite the case for Kate, unfortunately. Well, she's made a lot of films. Do you Have you got a number for how many? I haven't, no. I could probably easily find out with no, one second. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter. Shall I start? Yeah, why not? Shall I begin? So we, we, we are going to do them in chronological order and we're just going to talk as we've, we've sort of allocated ones. Um, we've got quite a good spread of the ones that I've seen and the ones that Terry have seen and we've we've each picked um sort of five favorites as well wow 57 well that's 57 tv bits in yeah, there as 57 well 57 is coming up on imdb for yeah we're not going to be going through dark season anglo-saxon attitudes or her episode of casualty yeah um but anyway so i'm going to start right at the beginning and i mentioned this um a couple of weeks ago i did a true crime um pod with dan and I mentioned, I did a little bit on uh, films that were based on true crimes and I spoke about this. Now this is easily in my top five Kate, probably my top three Kate films, possibly in my top two Kate films. Um, top one? Maybe not top one, no, might have to tie with something else, but it's, it's one of my favourite films anyway. Um, and it's Heavenly Creatures, which was her first feature film uh, from 1994. So if you um, don't know the story, and this is based on a true story, which... I love shit like that. Yeah, I do love a true story. Um, based on a murder. Um, and they're my favourite kinds of true stories. Um, Kate plays uh, a girl. So she was um, she was in her teens when she made this. Yeah. Um, maybe 19, maybe? I think it was 94. Yeah, it was it? 94. I don't know how old she was. She was born in... 74, 75. 75. So she's, so she's 19. 19. Um so she plays uh, Juliet Holm, um, or yeah, Holm, um, and her family moved to Australia. She meets uh, a girl called Pauline at school, and they become very good friends. They become very close. They sort of um, they have very intense friendship. They uh, write stories together, and they create these kind of like fantasy lands in their heads. Um, they make little models, and their stories are very intricate and. They, they just have this very, very intense friendship and their parents think that they're a bad influence on each other. 
um and it's it's set in the 50s i mean that's this this is a true true story the true thing that happened um in the 50s and i think their friendship at the time was very sort of like um pauline was sent for counseling and i think the counselor assumed she was in well he said the word homosexual like that um and of course that was very much frowned upon in those times um juliet's dad thought that they were taking pictures of each other in the bathroom and they used to do things like they were sort of like kiss each other on the lips and they would have a bath together and stuff like that but it didn't see there was nothing sort of like erotic about it do you know what i mean yeah um it just seemed that they were like very close friends um but anyway and they built up this sort of like um fantasy world and it got to the point where their parents decided that they were not a good influence on each other and wanted to separate them um and juliet uh so kate's character was going to be sent to south africa for the good of her health she had tuberculosis um (laughs) she has something wrong with her lungs (laughs) um and so they decided to kill pauline's mum um and and they did um there's there's no point hiding this It's a true story a successful murder it's not it's not a spoiler because uh that's what happened um and and yeah that's that's how the film ends is that they they do kill pauline's mum um really really well done film it's peter jackson yeah Um, i can't remember much about it other than just like we talk about where they'd make up stories if i like the whole film the like models. turns into like the worlds they build yeah, and the, stuff the, like that. The film doesn't turn into that. There are sequences where, so they've made these clay models and there are sequences that play out with like life-size clay models. I mean, considering that the film um, is what, over 30 years old now? It is. The, the clay model parts of it, um, where they, they're obviously people in some kind of suits. Yeah. It, it looks really oh, no, good. Yeah, it looks magical. Um, it looks really, really good. Um, and it's such an interesting story and it, it's played so well. Um, and they were very young. I don't know if... So the other actress is called uh, Melanie Linsky. Famous um, now for being in Two and a Half Men with Charlie Sheen. Oh, uh, see, I wouldn't know that. So I've never seen that. But That's um, what I... Because I saw Heavenly Creatures fairly... Well, not recently, but yeah. after I'd seen that. So it was like quite weird seeing... Because she plays like a stalker in that scene. Her in like quite a serious role as a very good actress. Um... This is um, anyway. So yeah, going back to um, going back to the film. Um, I don't know about her, but uh, Kate had her very first on-screen kiss with Melanie Linsky because they um, they kiss a lot in the film. Um, but anyway, in the real the real life Pauline and Juliet um, were so basically after they murdered Pauline's mum, uh, literally just a couple of hours after the body was found. Um, they went to Pauline's house and they found all of her diaries where she'd basically written like the plans for murdering. So she was arrested straight away and Juliet was arrested the next day and they were sentenced, I think 20 years to life. And I think they were, so this was in their mid fifties and they were released in 1959. Um, You know, they were minors at the time. I'm not Mm. saying that's a reason to release them, but they were very young at the time. Um, And when they were, were released, it was a condition that they never see each other again. So I believe that Juliet moved away and Pauline stayed where she'd like grown up. Um, but it's one of the only films that I've ever owned on video um, um, and then DVD and then Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is lovely. Yeah, really nice. I, rem- I rem- remember getting it. I don't know how I became aware of it, but very shortly after it came out, I remember having it when I was at school. It was probably one of the first videos that I bought myself. I only had like a couple of shelves of videos 
So I probably owned like maybe 30 or 40 videos, you know, before um, DVD became a thing or, you know, because I was mm. buying them with like pocket money and stuff, but I'd heard about this film and, you know, because of my interest in crime, I'd bought it, had it on video and then, yeah, and I, um, a couple of years ago, I think it came out on DVD, uh, Blu-ray. Yeah, um, that's when I first saw it when it came out on Blu-ray. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really good film. I, I think everyone should see it and have that as a first film. And interestingly, I read uh, somewhere that a critic, when they saw that film, said that um, Kate Winslet would only ever be known for that yeah, film and that. she wouldn't she wouldn't do anything better than that. Um, but we all know um, that's not necessarily the case. Um, and then I'm actually going to do the next film as well on the list. But very quickly, I want to mention the film Hamlet that she was in. So we're, we're just going to, we're not going to mention the films that we haven't seen. Um, she uh, she made Hamlet in 1996, which was directed by Kenneth Branagh. Um, and I think, I think I'm right in this, is that she auditioned for Frankenstein. Yes, I read that. For a part in Frankenstein, but Helena Bonham Carter got the role. But Kenneth Branagh was so impressed by her audition that he gave her the Hamlet role. I think she plays Ophelia. I don't actually know the story of Hamlet. Anyway... So the next film that we move on to, um, so early on in someone's career... A little-known film. A little-known film, Titanic, in from 1997. Now, before I go on about Titanic, Terry, do you like Titanic? I don't dislike Titanic. Uh, when Terry and I were choosing our, top, like, our five uh, films that we definitely wanted to cover, so we each picked like a top five Kate films. Heavenly Creatures was my number one pick, and then I jumped straight in. I was like, I'm fucking having Titanic. There was I, no fight. I wouldn't put it in my top no, five. No, you wouldn't. But I I absolutely love Titanic. Like, really, really love it. I remember going... I've not to, seen it for a long time. Oh, I remember going to see it um, at the cinema when it came out uh, with a friend from school. I, I, I really, really, really rate this film. Um, but funnily enough, because Terry and I are always banging on about how long films are, and we always go for like, the shortest film. And obviously, it's over three hours long. So... I decided to rewatch it for Kate thing. And I was just like, for God's sake, I could seriously watch like three other films in the time that it's taking me to watch Titanic. But I absolutely love it. So if you have been living in a cave and you Still don't know... Still one of the highest grossing films ever made, isn't it? Just incredible. Um, uh, Kate plays Rose. Um, she uh, is engaged to um, Cal, who's played by Billy Zane. Yeah. Um, and it's it's one of these marriages um, that her mother has has arranged. Basically, Kate and her mother had money. Uh, Kate's dad died, and they don't have any money, but their family name implies that they do. I don't think Cal realizes that they have no money, but yeah. they're marrying for money. Yeah. Um, Kate uh, Rose is desperately unhappy with this. She doesn't like the union. She's doing it, um, but she she believes you should marry for love. Um, anyway, so they board the Titanic. Blah blah blah. The um, then you've got uh, and they're in first class, obviously. Um, then you've got Leonardo's character. So oh, was Leonardo first, in this first, film? So they'll say the first time that Kate and Leonardo are put together, um, and he plays Jack. Um, and the he, scamp. He and his friend win tickets to board the Titanic uh, in a game of poker. Literally uh, just as maybe it's Maybe not leaving. poker, but they, they... It's a card game. It's a card game. And they, they win their tickets and they're in third class. Anyway, so they board right at the last minute. Um, Jack is an artist and he literally just moves from place to place. He, he has nothing besides the clothes on his back. Anyway, they end up meeting... 
Um, I won't tell you all the ins and outs of the stories. I think you know the story of the Titanic. Um, but, you know... Does it have a happy ending? If, I, I, my notes say... Rose is engaged to Cal, but meets Jack on board the Titanic. They fall in love, and the rest is cinema history. It is, in my opinion, one of the greatest cinema love stories of all time. Um, the the love between Rose and Jack is just so so like intense, and obviously it's over quite a short period of time. Um, but it is so intense. But what you've got to remember is uh, Kate um, is playing a seventeen year old. You know, she's oh, is she? Rose is only seventeen. Um, and I think when you are that age, before you're, um, sort of like, um, you know, before you've had your life experiences and you kind of maybe know a bit better, you will fall. Oh yeah. Yeah. It makes a bit more sense. You will fall like madly in love with someone. I don't actually know how old Jack was supposed to be, but he must've been similar in age. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, Kate is supposed to be 17 in it and they fall in love and they, they have this affair on board the, the Titanic as the ship's sinking, Rose gets into a lifeboat but she she jumps out because she's like I'm I'm not leaving without you. The Titanic sinks. Spectacular people. scene the Titanic uh, going down. It is incredible. Considering um, how old that is the way they did the, it. Um, so one of the little bits which amused me when I rewatched it um is as this man in propeller. No, oh no, that's awful. Um obviously the people falling all over the place but as people are trying to board there's not enough lifeboats we know this we know the story of the titanic but the band continue to play um and one of them says you know let's just keep playing to keep that's actually true as well isn't it that that happened and one of them says nobody's listening to us and one of the other guys says well nobody listens to us during dinner anyway so let's continue to play to keep warm but i thought i you know just little things like that those tiny little touches i just thought was so lovely um it's just i think it's just such a treat like uh someone got in touch um this week to say that they didn't have any feedback for us this week so they weren't really a kate fan not in the sense they didn't like her they just hadn't really seen any of her films where did i think they should start and before i said anything they said and don't fucking tell me to watch titanic i'm not watching it and i'm like okay that's cool but fyi Mm. it's amazing i think it's incredible um and it's one of the biggest oscar winners of all time how many oscars did it win terry a lot you know? No, Jimmy I've, got it, I've got it all here. No, I've got it all here. So, of 17 available it categories... It didn't get any acting things, though, did it? No. Of 17 available categories, it was nominated for 14, and it won 11. So, there's a handful of films that have watched 11. So, it is one of the biggest Oscar winners of all time. No film has won, to my knowledge, has won more than 11 no, I think Oscars. Return of the King equaled it. Yeah, there's a couple that have won 11. Maybe Ben-Hur as well? Possibly. Anyway, we're not going to go into that, but... I'm just going to run down for you. So, best film, yes. I mean, I don't know. I can't. We don't know what it was up against. against. But best film, I'm going to say yes. Probably. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Best director, definitely. Best cinema photography, um, art direction, and set decoration. Oh, you can't argue with that. You can't argue with that, can you? Uh, Same with costume. Costume design, you can't argue with that. It Um, set the scene of like the time very well. Editing, sound, effects, as in sound effects. Effects, as in visual visual effects. Uh, best original score and the best original song for my who heart who sung that on. song the iconic Celine Dion song uh, my heart will go on this film Ashes from Deadpool 2 this film is a juggernaut extravaganza I I can't recommend it enough no it's not my number one Kate film because it's fucking three hours and 15 minutes long and I can get my two other favourite Kate films in in that time but 
I'm going to go ahead, Terry, and say it's in my top three. Um, then we got a bunch of films that we haven't seen. I was trying to see what the and box then, office was. Well, shall I do that while you're talking about your next film? 2.1 billion. Okay, he's done it anyway. Isn't the internet a wonderful thing? Yep, Isn't beautiful. live Googling wonderful? Uh, which brings us into... So from 1997, we're going to jump <clears> to 2001 and the film Enigma, which I believe Terry has seen. So yeah, so this is my Kex file for this week. Oh, is it? Um, it is indeed. So actually, if you haven't seen a lot of Kate films, Kex is your best friend because I actually bought five films for £2.50. They were all 50p. So They've I had loads of 50p Yeah, films. so I got pretty much everything I watched because although I I mean there's one film one of my films is my favourite Kate film and I, I'm sure I did own it I must have got rid of it at some point but I managed to rebuy that for 50p but I'm going with Enigma as my Kex file so this is it's a strange film it's a very small part it's a supporting actress part for Kate Winslet so she plays Hester uh, the main character is Dougary Scott who for all intents and purposes in all but name is playing Alan Turing Hmm. who people will know from the Imitation Game, the man who broke the Enigma machine, who built our Enigma machine. I don't think they know him from the Imitation <coughs> Game. <laughs> I think he was known before that. But anyway, yeah. Well, he wasn't actually that well known because as part of, as it said, in an Imitation Game and in this, like the fact of everyone who was involved... It who you ask, Yeah, but everyone who was involved in the Enigma project, it was classified for 30 years. So no, it didn't really start coming out until the 90s about who was involved and who they were. So he's not actually playing Alan Turing. Said he's playing another character whose name escapes me. Um, I'll look it up while you're talking. Fire away. Um, so we start with said character whose name escapes me, heading back to Bletchley Park. He's been sent away in disgrace because he had a a bit of a breakdown because he was seeing a girl and then she broke up with him and he didn't take it very well. So he was sent away and he's been brought back purely because the bigwigs are coming to see how they're getting on because I get, the Germans have just switched their code so that the Enigma machine doesn't work anymore. So they've switched to a new playbook, which the Enigma machine, they need to find out what the key is. So he's brought back because he cracked it originally, just show that he's on it, but they don't actually want him back. And as soon as the meeting's over, they're trying to get rid of him, but he refuses to go. Uh, strangely, because if you've seen The Imitation Game, which me and Sonia have both seen, a very gripping film an amazing story about saving lives by breaking that code. This film then deviates from the enigma into a, is she dead? Isn't she where he tries to track down this woman that spurned him. Is that Kate's character? No. So Kate is is the housemate. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Kate is the housemate who's like helping him to find her. But yeah, so he's trying to find where she is. Uh, No one's seen her for a few days. He goes into her room and finds a squeaky floorboard. So obviously the first thing to do is to investigate said squeaky floorboard. And he finds some German communications that have been, that haven't been deciphered. And it's like, it was like a proper like court martial offense to, for them to leave Bletchley Park. So they set about finding out what these messages were. And it's like, it just defers into almost like a little detective story of him trying to find out what's happened. And then every now and again, he's at Bletchley Park and they're doing an enigma thing. Um, it just sounds like Imitation Game but with a shit bit thrown in. Yeah, so basically my problem is you've got, say, Imitation Game, so thrilling, and then this is, they've cut out 95% of that and then just got a really crap detective story of like, is she dead, is she not dead? Was she a spy, was she not a spy? Mm. And stuff like that. And it's just quite dull, to be honest. So Kate is probably one of the shining lights so she isn't in it very much but she plays starts off as the very sort of booky housemate she also works at Bletchley Park as everyone does in that area um it was the style of the time it was the style of the time 
Um, I mean, it does do a very good job of like setting the era again. Like everything looks really set in those times. But yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great film. I wouldn't ever want to watch it again. And if you're a fan of Enig- like the Enigma story, I wouldn't recommend it either because I don't think it covers that at all. It goes mm. more into this. It was quite strange. I was reading up about it afterwards and Mick Jagger was a producer of said film because he's a massive Enigma co-fan. He actually owns one of the Enigma machines and lent it to production so they could build replicas of it. What a thing to own. Like, seriously, yeah. he must be at what should I spend my money on today? Yeah, he's looking at the pile and just thinking, how can I get rid of this? looking on eBay. Oh, what's this? <laughs> but yeah, apparently it's based on like a, a novel written by someone and that's where it all goes. But I say, for me, if you've never seen The Imitation Game, maybe it'd be slightly better, but... Watching it, you're thinking, he's Alan Turing. Why aren't we seeing the struggle of building this machine? There's a little bit towards the end. I mean, in an imitation game, there's a bit where they've like broken the code, but they can't give away that they've broken the code, so they basically watch a fleet of ships get destroyed because if they move those ships, the Germans will know. And they sort of do that in a slightly different way in this film, and that's a little bit tense. But so it's just very average. It's not bad, just average. Not great. Thomas Jericho was his That's, character's yeah, I remember, name. I remember he had a very weird surname. Jericho. Um, as if he'd be called that. It's got quite a good supporting cast. Matthew McFadden's in there. Um, obviously, Kate herself. And then... Saffron Burrows. Yeah, there's a lot of sort Does of... Saffron Burrows play the missing girl? Yes. She's like the girlfriend. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people like a who's who of like late 90s British television because it's very much a British production. Um, but yeah, I'd say give it a watch, but temporary expectation. Sweet. Okay, so moving on to another one that I've seen from 2001 is Iris. Um, I did want to get this, but they didn't have it in Hemelkex. Uh, Have you seen it? No. Oh. Right, so I watched Iris with my mum. And (laughs) it's it's not happy viewing. Um, So Iris is a story about Iris Murdoch, um, the author. Um, It stars Judi Dench as the Iris Murdoch, the old Iris, and Jim Broadbent is her husband, John Bailey. And then Kate and um, Hugh Bonneville play the young Iris and John. And I would say, yes, that I mean, the story ends with old Iris, but the, the roles are, I wouldn't say it was an equal four-way split, um, but I wouldn't say it was like, uh, it's. I feel like she's more than a supporting. Act. Yeah. Like she's. I guess uh, it's weird when they're playing the same character. Yeah. Very weird. Um, I I have to say first. So originally this was going to be my Kex file, and when I watched it, I was like, I'm not giving. I'm not giving this away because at some point Terry and I are going to give away our Kex files. But um, so I bought another Kex file um, because I like Iris so much. I suppose I could go out and splash out another 50p on another coffee, but I'm not made of money. Um, I'll have to have a lend of this. I loved Iris. I really, really did. Um, It is, it's a proper like Devo watch though. It's just, it's, I mean, the story, so Iris Murdoch is a, or was a sort of very um, uh, celebrated author, and she she got Alzheimer's in later life. Um, and it's the way it's the way it's played. I mean, the way Judy Dench plays it, and the way Jim Broadbent plays. Well, they're just fabulous actors, aren't they? It's just 
it is just heartbreaking. It is done so, so well. But I have to say, Kate and Hugh Bonneville, um, obviously Lord Grantham, um, I mean, d- play them so... You honestly believe you are watching younger versions... Yeah, that they do a good job Judy of, like, melding. Dench, ...of Judy Dench and Jim Broadbent. Uh, it, honestly, it was a good half hour in, and my mum said to me, she's like, who is that? Because she didn't recognise Hugh Bonneville. Um, because he... Yeah, they they obviously have studied John Bailey, but his um, mimicking of George, John uh, Jim Broadbent. Is it in chronological doing, order, or do you see like no, Jim Broadbent? No, it sort of goes. And... It goes back and forth. Um, but the way you you can believe you're watching Jim Broadbent in his younger years, it's just it's so so well done. And Kate especially really really looks like Iris Murdoch. I think she's got this very unflattering haircut. Um, but the pictures that I've seen online of Iris Murdoch, um, I think Kate is, you know, it's almost like a dead spit for her. It's just so, so good. Um, and they, it was considered when they got together when they were younger, that they had a very sort of like unlikely or unconventional relationship because Iris was quite sort of like outgoing and she had a lot of lovers and stuff and she was quite experimental. So she had like male and female lovers and, um john was very sort of like reserved he had a stammer and or a stutter i'm sorry i don't know the difference but he he struggled um and he was very shy and he'd never like been with anyone else and he found her behavior at first a bit sort of like a bit overwhelming i think and then but then she turned around and she was just like you know but you're my whole world and you're all i want and they ended up staying together for the rest of their lives um and the, the story is really about their relationship. And then as they get older and she develops Alzheimer's and she notices she notices when her mind starts to go and she starts to worry about mm. it. And then and then her mind goes completely and she, she just, she's just not aware anymore. And there are just certain points where um, she might say something to him or say something to someone else. A very, very like brief moments where she's like lucid or she might say yeah. something that has some meaning to that person. And there's another lady, and I should know her name is, um, you know, um, Simon Pegg's mum in Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't know her her. name. Um, Penelope someone? Penelope, yes. Um, But she plays uh, their friend, um, and her reaction to Iris becoming ill is, you know, very upsetting as well, because obviously if you have a friend who is losing their mind like this it, it can be very upsetting it's just an amazing amazing film it's obviously another film based on a true story but it's it's really uh quite a tough watch and when it had finished we all we sort of felt a little bit drained after watching it but did say it was amazing and when i asked my mum actually about her favorite uh, penelope wilton yeah when i asked my mum about her favorite kate films um she said well titanic obviously because of that hat and also because it's an amazing film but she did say she said i really really thought iris was amazing um and i do i it's it's very very good um i believe that kate was nominated for best supporting actress for this but it's jim broadbent actually won a best supporting actor a little bit of trivia well. on this as well it's one of the first times in oscar in the oscars oh yeah, yeah. that the same that two actors have been nominated for the same character because judy dench was nominated for actress and Kate Winslet was nominated for supporting actress um but Jim Broadbent did actually win a best supporting actor for it and and very very much deserved it's if you want to see four acts well I would say five because I think Penelope Walton is she's in it briefly but her her portrayal as of the as the friend who has to sort of see her other friend go through this you know someone who had such an amazing mind 
to then to lose their minds the, the way they play it is just it's just amazing a really really good watch um so from iris which is quite a depressing film um terry's going to take us into uh 2003 the life of david gale starring the disgraced i was gonna Kevin say yeah Spacey. it's probably not gonna get a lot of watches now so i had seen this ages ago and i rem- had good remembrances of it so this is one of my other 50p pickups as a rewatch this, so i'm interested to see what it's about i would heartily recommend it so it is so it is about david gale played by kevin spacey so Ooh. the film opens with kate wins that she plays bitsy a lovely name bitsy bitsy Ooh. yes she is a um sounds like bitty doesn't she's it she's a journalist and <laughs> yeah <laughs> took a moment there <laughs> uh, and it opens with her being offered an interview with david gale <laughs> not being offered a bitty oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, being offered an interview with david gale who is on death row and is due to be executed in four days and they're offering her Three two-hour interviews on each day that's remaining of his life. Sorry, I was because I was laughing there. Is it based on a true story? No. Okay. It is completely made up. Um, so she sets about doing that. Um, so it does smack of like a film that is trying to show the death penalty up for being a bad thing. It has quite a sort of political feel to it. Um, but it's very good. So the first half of the film is Kate interviewing David Gale... And then we revert to flashbacks of him telling us his story. So we find out that he was a very respect, very well-respected professor. He was a campaigner against the death penalty. He'd go to marches. He ran a group, and like they'd go to actual executions and like campaign and try and get them. He uh, was going on. What was that? I lost my chain of thought. Uh, he's going on TV and like challenging the governor of Texas about executions. And he doesn't like it because he keeps getting beaten because they're constantly going on about how innocent people get killed by the death penalty and it's not very good. And the the uh, governor, I guess it would be of Texas, when it turns around and says, "Tell me someone who, tell me an innocent person that we've executed," and he can't. So from there it cuts to so he's got a strained re- relationship with his wife. So his wife has been to Spain four times this year, and pretty much everyone knows that it's because she's sleeping with someone in Spain. And it's just one of those things that's accepted. They've got a young son. He's out at a party and one of his students comes up to him and she's not doing very well. She's already propositioned him once with a what can I do to pass this class fluttering her eyelashes and he told her to go away. He's a little bit drunk at this point in time. They end up in a bathroom and basically they start having sex and she apparently likes it quite rough. She's asking him to rip off her clothes and like spank her. This comes into it. Okay. Um, so the next day he's at school when the police turn up and this girl's now accusing him of rape I feel like I've seen this film so it's quite an old film obviously um, so he's accused of rape and then so he's obviously very much I didn't do it she eventually drops the charges but obviously he's got that against his name now the school fire him he's finding it very hard to get another job he ends up running like a becoming a manager at Radio Shack um, I'm pretty sure I've seen this yeah quite possibly um yeah he ends up being a manager at a radio shack uh laura linney who's a supporting character in the film she's like his best friend and she's also part of this group so he ends up being ostracized from the group as well about about stopping the executions because again he's just seen as a bad mark that is going to ruin anything they try and do so then we cut to i mean i don't 
I, I think it's sort of said at the beginning. So Laura Linney's character is the person that he's accused of murdering. So she is found in her kitchen with a bag set of tape around her head, her hands handcuffed behind her back, naked, and she has got the key in her stomach. So she's found on the floor. I've definitely seen this. Uh, and she's also found with Kevin Spacey's semen inside. Well, not Kevin Spacey's, David Gale's semen inside her. Good grief. So it's the like ac- true life. So the accusation out. is that obviously she's been, that she's been raped and murdered. And David Gale himself says that apparently that style of murder was something that I forget who, but a certain country would use as a sort of a form of torture because the whole idea is that the key to your freedom is inside you and you just need to let it out. So if you were trying to get information out of someone and obviously they'd like burst the bag at the last minute to get them out, but it didn't happen in this case. So I say the first half of the film is Kate. At the very, very start, she's no, he's guilty. Like all the evidence points go, his fingerprints are found on the sellotape. Um, but through talking to him, she begins to suspect that maybe it's not all what it seems. They're being followed by a mysterious car while they're in this town. <clears throat> um, and they're beginning to look into things. Uh, very strange. It's not a cameo. It's just an early part. Melissa McCarthy is in the film. Oh, okay. So she has since moved into the house of the murder and has turned it into like a murder museum. And they've got like the white outline on the floor. But she plays like a goth girl. And she's playing it very serious. And it's quite, you're waiting for her to break into some sort of, I mean, I'm not a fan of Melissa McCarthy, some crap improv. Um, but yeah, so that's quite an odd bit. So yeah, so she begins to investigate. She goes back to her hotel room and there's a tape hanging from the ceiling. And when they watch it, it is a clip of the murder. So it's her lying on the floor with the bag on her head and her legs kicking and then they stop kicking. So it becomes apparent that someone filmed the murder and there is more film out there. So Kate is now absolutely certain that David Gale did not commit this murder. Uh, David Gale is quite sort of, although he says like, I'm innocent, but he's not that fussed about not being executed. His whole thing is just, I want to be proven innocent. I don't care if you do it before or after. So there's a lot more investigation. Throughout the film, there's a whole thing of where like the car keeps breaking down that they've rented. Um, And then basically the guy that's been following them, they manage to follow him back to his house and they find an envelope with Kate's name on it um which he it says to be given to her after the execution and she puts it on and it clearly shows Laurel in his character swallowing the handcuff key putting the tape around her head putting the handcuffs on and gently lying herself on the floor and then proceeding to die so it's actually a suicide set up to look like a murder kate decides obviously it must be that they decided that they were going to lose oh i've missed out a key element Laurel Linney had terminal leukemia so they figured that she's done it. They'll set up David Gale and then they'll prove that he's innocent while he's on death row. And then they'll prove their case that execution is bad because you might kill someone who is innocent. But the person who's looking after the tapes, they decide has gone rogue and thought, no, it will make the most impact after David Gale has died. So they're desperately trying to get back there. He's It's the day of his execution. He's having his last meal. The car breaks down. She's sprinting down the road to the prison and just as she gets there, they come out and announce that David Gale was executed and died at bloody blah, blah, blah. She breaks down crying. She gets the tape out of there. Obviously, there's a big hoo-ha that executions are wrong. An innocent man has been executed because this tape clearly shows that she killed herself and it was a setup. The man is chased, but he's obviously done a runner. And then right at the end of the film, Kate gets sent another tape, which is exactly the same of him die- her dying. And then David Gale comes in and helps tidy it up. So he was actually in on it the whole way through. He knew what it was. And basically his life was ruined. His wife had left him. He wasn't seeing his son. 
he couldn't get the job that he wanted so these two friends basically decided they were going to kill themselves for their cause mm. of proving that the death penalty is a bad thing so as i say very particular. it's quite decent kate winslet is very good in it and Kevin Spacey is good in it as well. Obviously, we don't like to say that these days. If anyone uh, was thinking about watching the film, The Life of David Gale, you don't need to now because Terry's just explained it so fully. <laughs> but it's one that you can't really talk about without spoiling the end. So um, yeah, maybe cut in before that spoiler alert for The Life of David Gale. But um, I did have a little laugh to myself because I remember something when you um, said about someone being chased down the road yeah. in a bogus journey last night. <laughs> Their girlfriends, you know, the medieval babes. Yeah. And... Um, they they drive off and uh, Bill says, "Do you think our girlfriends will ever stay over?" And uh, Ted says something like, our "Girlfriends are most chaste," um, <laughs> and that amused me somewhat. I'm um, glad you were focusing on what I was saying. I was focusing on what you said, but you said chaste, and I thought Bill and Ted. Um, so the film didn't do very well. Oh Christ, he hasn't finished. <laughs> no, so this is just a little point. So the film didn't do very well, and it actually killed the director's career. Who was the director? Oh. Don't look it up now. Finish what you're bloody saying. Uh, well, no, that was it. Like he literally didn't make another film after that. So that's like the early 2000s. He'd made a lot of like well-received films, and this was sort of like he got to run with what he wanted to make and say so it. It made massive losses. It didn't do very well. It was seen at the time as like a political film that it was more about the politicalness rather than making a good film. I think it's a decent film. Mm. Um, I don't think knowing the ending spoils it because when I rewatched it, I knew the ending and it was still a good film to watch mm. um, but say so, yeah Kate Winslet is probably the best thing in it because she she plays say she she switches from he is very much guilty to he's very much not guilty and like the angst of trying to get that resolved so that he an innocent man isn't murdered but yeah that's the life of David Gale in quite vivid detail awesome okay right the next one's mine don't worry um 2004 Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mr. Blue Sky. This is um, easily in my top two Kate films. It's up there with Heavenly Creatures. I'd, I'd be hard pushed to find uh, a favourite between these two. Um, so if you're not uh, aware of the story um, of Eternal Sunshine, um, Kate plays Clementine um, or Clementine. I actually don't know how they pronounce it in the film. I can't remember. I would say I Clementine. Clement- I would think in an American film it would be Clementine. Yeah, I would say Clementine. Um, and she meets um, Jim Carrey's character. Christ, what's his name? Joel. Um, they have a chance meeting um, and they end up having a relationship. Long story short, there is a medical procedure that um, you can have done not in real life, in the film, where you can have the memory of a person and your relationship with them erased uh, from your memory. Um, And that's essentially what happens. So they embark on this relationship. Um, One day Joel goes to uh, speak to her and she's acting like she doesn't know him and he can't understand why. And then he finds out it's because she's had the memory of him erased he doesn't know why he's very confused he ends up going to have the same procedure done himself while the procedure is taking place in his head he realizes he doesn't want to lose these memories because as well as erasing all the the bad memories it also erases all the good memories because you're Mm. erasing all the memories of that person and he's just like no no I i don't want this to happen so um 
if you haven't seen it, I urge you to watch it because it's a it's an excellent film. Uh, full stop. Um, so I I won't go. I won't spoil it. Like that's I the, just did. That's that's the procedure. Um, that's um, that's what happens. What I what I love so much about this film is that um, up until this point, um, Kate had been playing very. Um, kind of english rose type roles and um uh jim carrey on the other hand had had a lot of comedic roles this was his first serious role in any way he's actually a very good actor yeah um well i wouldn't think a a comedian is not Mm. not a good actor but um he so he he becomes the serious role and and clementine so kate then takes on the more it's not a comedic role, but she's very carefree and yeah, a bit you know, wacky. Yeah, a bit colouring her out hair. There. Um, and it's almost as if those two you wouldn't like. I've watched interviews of them um, done at the time, and she said that you wouldn't think of putting those two together, but when they were put together, she thought it was perfect, and she loved that she was kind of playing the role, a role that he's more associated with, and he was playing a role that she's probably more associated with. Um, she has said that this is her favourite role of hers yeah, that I've she's got that done. To say um and um as terry mentioned she's got lots of different color hair now the 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 story sort of like goes back and forth it doesn't sort of like follow a a straight sort of like timeline because they're you're looking at uh people's memories so they do go back and forth and kate has different color hair throughout the film and the different color hair is to help the viewer sort of work out what stage their relationship they were at um I'll let you watch the film and you can kind of work out yourself because when you start watching it you're not you're not necessarily sure so basically when you when you first meet Clementine when we first meet her on screen we think that's when they first meet and it's not actually until later on in the film that you realize that they have actually met before and her hair is a different color and it helps you sort of piece the story together a little little bit trivia her favorite hair color was the red hair um, in that um I liked the blue. Do you have a preference? I like the orange. Yeah, she also had green. Um. Anyway, going away from her hair color, um, it's it's an incredible film. It it looks incredible in the sense that it looks ordinary. Like they're not yeah. made up or anything like that. Like they don't have any makeup on or it's like sometimes when you watch a film and or quite often when you watch a film and the certainly the female leads are, you know, the hair is clean and done and they've got makeup on. And and I think that in everyday life, not every woman leaves the house looking like that. Whereas Kate's hair is messy, her roots are showing, her hair probably hasn't been washed in a couple of days. She, I don't think she's ever wearing makeup in it. Um and Joel, Jim Carrey's character, it just looks like a state. Um, you know, they just look like people that have real lives yeah. and shitty jobs, basically. Um, I think they make a very believable couple. Um, and the the other, the rest of the cast, like the people that work for the company who provide this medical procedure. Mark Ruffalo's in it, isn't he? Um, they're very good. Uh, they're very good characters as well. So you've got um, the Hulk is in it. As Terry just said, Frodo yep. is in it. Mr. Frodo. Um, Kirsten Dunst is in it. A, um, a red role that I don't hate of Kirsten Dunst. I'm not a fan of hers either. Um, and Tom Wilkinson's in it. Yeah. Does he ever do anything bad? He's like the head doctor, isn't he, Tom Wilkinson? Yeah. Um, so 
it's it's just amazing. I was so so looking forward to rewatching it. So film I need to rewatch it. It's a film that I watched. Um, so this came out two thousand four. So I would have watched it back then. It's again. It's another one that I've possibly had on video, maybe DVD. I think I had it on DVD. I think it would have been DVD back. Came then. Came in an orange box. Um, yes, it did. It might still do actually. Um, it's 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 just a very very good film. But I. I told Terry at the start that I was oh, going to... we go in? in is this the I was going to go in Before deep. we go deep, one thing I love about this film is when he's having this, the yeah. procedure is how his memories like fall away and yeah, like yeah, the yeah. imagery of that. Okay, right, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. So, that, <laughs> no, 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 just so Terry was just saying, um, when his memories are going, so there's a bit where they're in the library and, and Frodo's yeah. in there and he like taps him on the shoulder but Frodo turns around but you can't see his face and his head just keeps turning and he just keeps seeing like the back of his head and like one minute he'll be talking to Clementine and then she's just suddenly not there because that memory has been erased so in the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind they can have a procedure where a person is erased from your memory oh I think I know where this is going if you could have and I've been asking people this question if you could have that procedure and have a person and therefore all your memories associated with that person and possibly your memory of their the relationship you had so let's let's assume then because they were in a romantic relationship would you erase someone from your memory would you like me to tell you what other people have said go on there give me a bit more thinking time whilst you have a little think um i'm not going to name names because it might (laughs) (laughs) it might ruin some people's relationship some of the it it was it was a i would say it was an equal split of yes and no but um, the reasons were quite different. So uh, a couple of people um, were like, oh, that's a tough one. Yes, no, yes, no, oh, I'm not sure. Yes, no, yes, no. And then they finally came back to me. They said, look, I've been talking to it with, about, about it with my friend. And we both said, yes, if we could have that procedure, yes, we would erase someone from our memories. Okay, that's interesting. Someone else I spoke to said... Um, that no, they wouldn't because they felt, if we were talking about someone that you've had a romantic relationship with, they didn't feel that they'd loved anyone so much that they would actually be that bothered to have them erased, Mm. which I thought was an interesting take. Someone else said that they had been in a relationship with someone who, um, that yes, they would definitely erase if the option was available to them at the time. Whereas now the person doesn't really have an effect on their life. They said, had you asked me at the time yeah. when I'd split up with that person, I would have erased them from my memory. It's all like character building at the end of the day, isn't it? Well, so it's interesting you said. So the people that turned around and said, fuck yeah, I'll erase people from my mind. The people that would just said, yeah, fuck it. Their thoughts were, it's supposed to be, you know, if you have your heart broken, it's supposed to be character building and make you stronger. But I don't believe any of that shit. I so I wouldn't have the procedure. Yeah? I have I think had my heart broken once, like massively, possibly twice. I'm gonna go with twice. Second time not as extreme as the first. And although those experiences were awful, the good times were better than the bad times, and I would not like to lose the experience of the good parts of those Mm. relationships to forego the breakup and the 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 shitty aftermath if i you know i wouldn't want to delete that 
and then lose the other good stuff as well. And the person that I was discussing it with face to face agreed that, that yeah, that the, the good outweighs the bad, therefore you wouldn't delete the bad and delete the good with it, which is kind of what Jim Carrey realized as he was yeah. going through the procedure. But now you've had time to think. So there wouldn't be a romantic one because other than my wife, who I wouldn't erase, Gemma. Um, <laughs> I have get that in there. I've not had... Before that, I had like little relationships. I never had like a big... I went for like month-long relationships to now 18 years and counting. Um, one person jumps to mind that I would like to have erased, which again, I learned a lot from that. Taking away that, I learned so much of what not to do. Yeah. In a sense of if you're managing people, when you're with people, being nice to people. So again, I don't think I would. Although the thought of the thought of never having to think of him again, not that I really think of him a lot anyway. But yeah, I don't think I would because that made me the person, that the the manager that I became. Yeah. So no, I don't think I would. It's interesting, isn't it? This um, the idea that you could erase someone. Because the other thing is, I think, because and also I think you see some of the characters it's clearly happening in the film with people that were getting it done multiple times that people are doing it on a whim. Yeah. So they're coming out of something. You might have like an argument with someone. You'd be like, fucking delete that person straight away. Oh, you can imagine there'd be people like that. Fucking Instagram generation. Ooh. But the thing is as well... There wasn't one in 2004. From a technical point of view, would it be that that would just... Did they replace the memories or they just... It was gone. So would you like forget eight years of your life? This isn't clear. So one question that was brought up was was like, well, okay, if I was to delete this person that I had a relationship with, so I delete the memory of them, do I therefore delete the memory of everyone that I met along the way? Because if that's the case, mm. they wouldn't have met me. So yeah. I wouldn't be friends with this person. So I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Because that's not really a joke. They were just talking about two people that have like... Yeah. Um, but I just thought I just thought it was an interesting question. I just liked throwing it out to people, like just sending a random text. Hey, if you could delete someone from your brain, would you? And they're like, "Fucking hell, son!" I'll bring like, it up in the next having, management meeting. I'm at work. Tea. Um, can I get back to you? No, I'd like to know now. I'm recording in an hour. Um, but I thought it was quite an interesting. No, it is quite an interesting, an idea. interesting philosophical question for if, a Sunday afternoon. If anyone uh, would like to get in touch and let us know if you could uh, delete someone from your memory, um, who would it be and why? Yeah, let us know. I'm Pictures. not revealing any names. <laughs> Pictures, um, links to Facebook pages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, highly, highly recommend um, Eternal Sunshine. It's easily one of my favourite Kate films. It's hashtag. I need amazed. to rewatch it. If you've got it, I'll have to borrow it because I haven't got it either. Okay. Um, okay, and then a couple, Terry's going to take us through a couple, and then we're probably going to um, call it a day there and um, reconvene for next week's yep. um, episode. But Terry's going to take us uh, same year, two thousand and four. Film that I haven't seen, shockingly, Finding Neverland. So Finding Neverland. So this is, as soon as we said Kate, or when I put Kate in the hat, this was one that I was thinking of that I wanted to talk about. So this is, Finding Neverland is about J.M. Barry, the man who wrote Peter Pan. So it is set around him finding the character of Peter Pan and writing that story. So um, Kate plays Sylvia, who is the mother of four boys, one of which is called Peter. Um, who he happens by chance to meet in a park. He's just had a play that's gone out that was awful. People walked out um, and he's like struggling like to find what he wants to write about because obviously he's doing very serious things. Um, Johnny Depp plays J.M. Barry, possibly one of his last decent acting roles. Uh, he, he keeps up the Scottish accent very well throughout. 
um, and has like a lovely rapport with Kate and with the four boys. Um, the main Peter himself, who's the youngest of the four in the film, I believe that's something that they've changed because it is quite true to life, other than the fact of it was actually Michael that he sort of bonded with more and just happened to choose Peter as the name, whereas in this it makes out that Peter is the boy. Mm. Uh, so that's he's played by Freddie Highmore, who at the time could have only been eight years old, and he is fantastic in this film. There's a particular poignant bit in the film which they actually filmed first so that he could... The director wanted him to show other actors what he could do so they wouldn't like treat him like a child, if that makes sense. Mm. And they'd give him a bit more a bit more sort of of a go at it. So the film, as I say, is basically him meeting this family. Uh, their father recently died, so they're struggling a little bit, like there's not so much money coming in, they're having to let go of like the ha- the people helping around the house, and he just he really gets on with his children. They're obviously playing fanciful games and he's quite a fanciful man being a playwright. Again, um, so he starts going around their house and playing games with them. He does get a reputation. People want to know why he's spending time with all these boys and people are talking about it because he's married. He's hanging around with a widower and their four boys. And why is he hanging around? But he goes around and he plays games and the film just becomes the game. So there's a bit where they're playing. Like Jumanji? Kind of. So there's a bit where they're playing pirates and it just cuts to very like almost like mighty boosh style so it's not like real looking it's very much it looks like paper mache and cardboard but it looks like that but it just like the whole what they're playing becomes the reality that you're viewing and it's just really magical to look at and let's say just very well done so halfway through they go to he take he lets them use his summer house to get out of the city because she's not been feeling very well uh, Peter, who struggled with the death of his father, has become a very serious child, which is why he becomes attracted—not attracted to him, drawn to him in the film because he wants—he wants the boy to be a boy and to dream and to play. Whereas he's not doing that because he's very serious about things. Because his father di- his father said that he'd never leave, and then his father died, so it like broke him. Mm. So he's written a play, and halfway through the play, Sylvia starts having a coughing fit to the point that she can't breathe. A doctor comes in, and basically, she's not very well. Um, so he continues to write finding I, I, I think the play is called Peter Pan um, and then it cuts to obviously he's written it and they take he takes it to the company and they're all reading through it going like what the hell is this this guy who's obviously a, a famous actor is playing a dog and he has a dog costume and there's lots of sort of fanciful like what is this like he's really lost his mind because his last play didn't do very well um, people sort of begin to get behind it slash realise that they're going to have to do it regardless um, and then oh, I mean yeah that's not a spoiler uh, so then when we get to opening night Johnny De- uh, Jay and Barry insist that 25 seats must be left vacant throughout and obviously the owner of the theatre is a bit well that's 25 seats I could sell what the hell's going on am I going to get the money and throughout he's got a, and basically he's arranged for 25 orphans to come and watch the show because he realises that it's a fanciful show and adults won't get it so these 25 orphans are dotted around the, st- the theatre Obviously, they're watching Peter Pan. They're watching people fly, a man dressed as a dog getting pyjamas out of a wardrobe, and they're laughing, and that gets Hmm. everyone else involved. Um, I mean, there's more I want to talk about, but having ruined the life of David Gale, this isn't a film I want to ruin. Um, (laughs) Ruined the life of David Gale. You just gave us a blow-by-blow account of it. So, 
as we've said, Kate Winslet's character. I mean, I, I can't talk about Kate Winslet's character without being spoiled. So, yeah, spoiler for Finding Neverland coming up now. So, if you don't want to know anything about it, yeah, stop skip listening. Forward, maybe like thirty seconds or so. <clears throat> maybe a couple of minutes. So oh, bloody hell, Terry. So Kate Winslet's character is obviously very ill. We know she's very ill. She can't attend the premiere of the play because she becomes so ill. She's bedridden. So in a beautiful moment between his friend there's very much although it's never explicitly stated there's very much a clear romantic link between jay and barry and sylvie although it's <clears throat> as far as the films are aware it's never consummated it's never more than just they clearly love each other so he takes the play to her house so she can watch it and because he's always said to her that like, i'll show you neverland i'll take you to neverland so they're doing the play and halfway through the play again the whole thing the house becomes neverland and you can see real fairies flying around and at that point, they all stand up and they're watching it. And then Kate's character just walks into Neverland. And then it cuts to her funeral. And that was like her passing on. Yeah, I, um, got, I got that. Yeah, just in case you need it on the nose. Um, and then becomes the really, really heartbreaking scene. So Peter is obviously back to, she's gone, what's going on? Jay and Barry is going to like, he says that he's not going to leave the boys. He's going to look after them. And there's just this heartbreaking scene on a bench between the two of them and it's i was reading up about the film it's quite a bold ending so it's quite a sort of happy fanciful film and it ends after a funeral with two characters just sat basically crying about the death of this character on a bench and that's how it ends but it is just that sounds like my kind of ending it is such an amazing film it's and it's only 97 minutes it's a quicken mm. I just didn't get time to watch it this way because yeah. I watched fucking Titanic didn't I but um it's such a beautiful film it's one of my favorites it gets me every time because did it make you cry? It, the first time it made me cry. Baby. Now it makes me like lump in the throat job. Um, it's not just me choking on a pork pie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just it's just such a beautiful film. Like a, a moving before. It's very. I think the main thing you'd say with a lot of Kate Winslet, it's just so understated. Like she could really be like, oh, <laughs> but she doesn't. She just conveys it with like little motions the way she reacts with the children she's just a very natural actress um and obviously it's again just yeah a really really lovely film one of probably definitely my top five because obviously i picked it i'd probably say top three but yeah it's just okay it's just a really really nice film and it's one that like you can i mean i've seen it quite a lot of times it's a rewatcher okay but yeah i really really enjoyed it i am i do actually have it i just didn't get a chance to watch it, so I will definitely watch that. Um, okay, so what we're going to do now, we're going to cover one more Kate thing. Kate um, performance. And then we're going to um, knock it on the head for today and come back for part two. Terry's going to finish us off from 2005. It's the only TV performance that we're going to talk about. It's Kate's um, appearance in the episode of Extras. So Terry, yes, it's all yours. <clears throat> so obviously, anyone who's watched extras, it's Ricky Gervais playing an extra. I forget his name. Who cares? Andy, I think. Uh, so he's on a set, and there's always one big actor in it, and they play, they lampoon themselves. So Kate Winslet is in this episode, and she's playing a nun in a Holocaust film. <laughs> <coughs> uh, so Kate is so at this point, Kate had been nominated for several Oscars mm. and hadn't won, and at one point Ricky Gervais's character says to her like oh, I think it's such a noble thing that you're doing being in a holocaust film like keeping the memory alive keeping like those atrocities alive and she turns around and said don't care about that I've just noticed if you're in a holocaust film Oscar gold and she's just so on the nose I've got a few of the quotes so part of 
the thing then goes into so Ricky Gervais's best friend has got a new boyfriend who likes to talk dirty on the phone and she has no idea how to do it and is really awkward Kate happens to overhear this conversation and decides that she'll offer some advice because she's Kate Winslet she's a lovely lady um it's quite a long quote but I feel like it has to be read in its entirety so she says to her oh yeah that can be a bit awkward why don't you just start with something like, you know, like, um, I'd like, I'd love it if you stuck your Willy Wonka between my Oompa Loompas, you know, something a bit fun, a bit jokey. Then move on to something a bit more like I'm playing with my dirty pillows. And then you, I'm, <laughs> I'm cutting out a little bit here. And then you can get to things like I'm aching for your purple headed womb ferret. Womb <laughs> ferret. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then finally, then you go straight in hard, like get round here because I'm fudding myself stupid and I'm bloody loving it. <laughs> Um, so yeah so there's a few bits where it comes back to that yeah and there's another bit a bit later (laughs) on where she asks if it goes okay and they start talking about other things and at the time she was with Sam Mendes the Mm. Oscar winning director and uh, she goes on about how oh yeah um, I talked to him about polishing his Oscar which is obviously another double entendre (laughs) Uh, um, and then there's a bit where basically Maggie's having this conversation with her boyfriend and Kate's in the background mimicking licking her breasts <laughs> while he's trying to have a serious conversation and he turns around and catches Kate holding her breast up in a nun's costume as well this has to be said <laughs> pretending like her, and Kate is just like frozen with her tongue out pointing towards her nipple <laughs> and just slowly like puts it down and just sort of stands there and the boyfriend turns around so all that stuff about your husband polishing his Oscar was that meant to mean wanking Kate very stupid she goes yep and he says and your basement men Kate looks down my fanny (laughs) (laughs) but it's just it's a very playful I mean everyone in the show as the big star does have a lot of fun with themselves but I just feel like with Kate because the Oscar thing was a big thing Um, and there's another bit as well where there's a really awkward bit I found it quite hard to watch where Ricky Gervais's character is sort of Ricky Gervais doing awkward I don't believe it (laughs) yeah so he's sort of trying to get with this character and her sister comes in who's got cerebral palsy so she's walking a bit funny and obviously Ricky Gervais is like oh look she's had a few and it gets very (laughs) awkward and then later on in the episode Kate Winslet sees her and just goes that's another thing guaranteed Oscar play a mental (laughs) Um, I actually saw I was watching some bloopers before you came round and uh, that was one of the yeah, yeah, that was one of the bloopers, the cerebral. So yeah, so it's basically if if you like Kate Winslet and you want to hear Kate Winslet talk dirty, watch her episode of Extras. Oh, I have seen it, but I thought I I'd saw forgot because I was just like, I know I remember laughing my head off. Yeah. So and I re- I didn't rewatch the whole series. I just watched the episode, but yeah, purple headed womb ferret. That is hilarious. Is one for the ages. Yeah. Um, and obviously, potentially the the Holocaust thing might come up later. Mm, maybe it will. Um, right, so that's going to conclude our part one of our Kate-a-thon. Um, we're going to come back um, and look at the rest of her movies. So we're up to 2005. Um, 13 years left to go. Yeah, um, but we're fine. We'll cover it in no time. So thanks for listening to part one. Um, any films that we haven't mentioned that she's made in this time, so from 94 to 2005, that we haven't mentioned that you think we might maybe... Uh, you've seen the film Jude and you think we should watch it, uh, then let us know. That would be a maze. Or if you've got any thoughts on any of the films that we have mentioned and you'd like to share them. Um, and remember, if you would like to erase the memory of someone, let us know. Who and why. Yeah. Um, and would you? 
Basically. So, um, social media. Terry, what's our email address? Our email address is theatricalcut at gmail.com. Yeah, if you've got anything you'd like to say, ask, put across. Uh, if you could get in touch with us on there, that would be hashtag amaze because it's easier for us. But we can also be found on the Instagram and uh, theat- at Theatrical Cut Pod. Theatrical Cut Pod on Instagram. Um, Terry is Prefax. I am Mallory underscore watches on the Instagram. And on the Twitter, we are... Theatrical Cut. At Theatrical Cut. And Terry is still Prefax. Prefax all the way. Bloody Mallory. The Mother Pod can be reached at tmtooh on the instagram and 2mtooh on the twitter and and on facebook for the mother and on and on facebook we're not on facebook because it's shit um (laughs) that's it for part one thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you for part two mike drop